everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdown and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Jeff Tuohy, former assistant director of scouting with the Arizona Coyotes and former OHL executive. Jeff is someone who paid his dues in the game and has had great success thanks to a willingness to put in the work and take on any role presented to him. The stories he presents across multiple decades takes us through his amazing career and his story is one I'm glad to share today. With that, I'm happy to present Jeff Tuohy, former assistant director of scouting with the Arizona Coyotes and former OHL executive. Today I'm joined by Jeff Tuohy, former assistant director of scouting with the Arizona Coyotes and former OHL hockey executive. Jeff, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. And, um, you know, as I do with everybody, I've gone through your resume and kind of done some research on who you are and where you've been. And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, exciting experiences that you've had that people can learn from. So let's dive right into it and uh, learn a little bit about your career and where you've been. So tell sure. us a little bit about you personally, maybe where you're from, your upbringing, and your involvement in sports throughout your youth. Yeah, well, I grew up in uh, Lindsay, uh, which is a small town uh, about a half an hour outside of Peterborough. Uh, back then, it was, I, I think we were population about 12,000. It might be about 14 now. But uh, yeah, I was involved in love sports. I didn't really come from a sports family. Um, my parents weren't big into it, uh, you know. Uh, my brother, I have a younger brother, he was much more of an academic than me, uh, but played everything, you know, back then. I mean, that's, we didn't have much else to do, obviously. We didn't have cable TV like they do now. We didn't have computers. So played sports year-round, uh, loved playing baseball in the summer, played rep baseball, um, played basketball, football, uh, you know, in high school. But, but hockey was always my, you know, my passion. And, and uh, you know, from playing road hockey in the spring and, and fall to, uh, you know, playing all winter. And, and uh, back then we didn't have regional teams either. So we had, you know, we were like a double A center, uh, but surprisingly from a small city, we had a couple guys from our team went on to play in the OHL. Uh, in fact, one, one was a first round pick to Peterborough, John Bukaboom. Um, we had a, our goalie played for Toronto Marley. So for, for a small town, uh, you know, we hockey was big there. And, and uh, obviously I was, I was, passionate about it love playing and uh, back then Ryan it was a different time and and uh, you know there's only one arena in, in Lindsay it's gone now but we used to we used to practice at seven in the morning and uh, uh, my, a buddy of mine and I we knew we had a way we could get into the rink back then and, and we could sneak in through a window we'd, we'd be in there at 5 30 on the ice and we knew where the light switches were and you know you couldn't do it now but I mean, you'd see the manager coming in, he'd see you on the ice, just wave to you, like, you know, which obviously for safety reasons and everything you couldn't do now, but, but we love playing. And then, uh, you know, we were fortunate. We had guys that would put the time into coaching us. And uh, so, um, you know, right up till uh, my, my last year was in, uh, in midget hockey. My was obviously my, my draft year and I got hurt and uh, that pretty well ended my, uh, my playing career. So, uh, from that point, I, I got much more involved. I always worked hockey schools and uh, got involved. I, you know, I couldn't play anymore. My doctor thought I had to sit out a year or so anyway, so I decided to 
to really get involved in scouting. And uh, I, I got an opportunity with the Aurora Tigers, uh, who were a tier two team at the time. So I was in high school uh, working for them, you know, running around trying to find players. Uh, didn't get paid anything, but, you know, as an 18-year-old, it was, it was a, well, 17, 17, I guess I was when I started. But, you know, started to make some contacts and, and uh, started to learn, you know, about scouting. And, uh, um, you know, I was lucky at the time, the guy coaching in Aurora when I started there was a guy, uh, Jack Ferguson, who you know, the OHL has an award named after now for all his time that he spent um, uh, uh, scouting in the OHL. But back then he was a coach and he scouted for the Ottawa 67s. So I spent a lot of time around him, just made that connection. He was a coach in Aurora and, and I was just a you know, young kid scouting. And uh, um, that, that's kind of how I got started. And then when I went to university uh, in Sudbury, um, the Peets didn't have a scout up there and uh, they had just hired uh, Dave Dryden was the, the coach and general manager and I reached out to him and I you know I said I worked hockey schools I was connected I was working in tier two and they didn't have anybody up north so um, Dave gave me a chance to scout for the Peets uh, while I was in university so I think I started in second year so three years of university I was scouting for the Peets and uh, up in northern Ontario which was a bit of a challenge because I didn't have a car but uh, found a way to get around and and uh, you know from there I uh, uh, when I graduated university, I, I just wanted to work in sports and uh, wanted to work for the Peets, but there wasn't any opening. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, that summer, their trainer uh, quit on them and uh, they needed a trainer, which again, you couldn't do now. But I went in and taught myself how to, you know, how to be the trainer and I, I was scouting for them. I, I actually lived with uh, Jacques Martin, who's a uh, assistant coach now at the Pittsburgh Penguins, but him and I lived in Roger Nielsen's house and uh, his family was in Ottawa. So it was the two of us there for about three months and uh, you know, we'd work all day, scout every night. And uh, so for four or five years, whatever it was with the Peets, I was, uh, I was a trainer and I was doing uh, the bulk of the scouting too, which was a challenge. But uh, so anyways, that's kind of how, how I got going in it. And uh, it certainly hasn't been an easy road, that's for sure. But uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunities that I got. Definitely. I think there's a number of key takeaways there. Obviously, um, the passion was there from day one, you know, talk about sneaking into the arenas. Um, I, I'm sure that everybody at one point has wished that they had that way to get into the arena, whether it be 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, it's not as easy to do nowadays, but um, no. seeing that you obviously had the experience, it's uh, it's great to hear that you obviously took advantage of that and, and kind of set that standard of you always want to be. Yeah, yeah, a small town, Ryan, you know, and, and yeah. uh, hockey was big and, and certainly, uh, you know, I was, I was passionate about it. And, you know, like I said, it was my draft year when I got hurt. Whether I would have got drafted or not, I don't know. I got hurt at Christmas and that was pretty well the end of it. But uh, I did love to play and uh, that's where it all started was it was in Lindsay. Definitely. Um, another takeaway I wanted to kind of just elaborate on a little bit. You said that you attended uh, Laurentian there in Sudbury before kind of jumping into uh, the hockey a little bit more. Talk about your time in that program and how it prepared you to work uh, in hockey and sports in general. Well, for me, it, uh, it was a good experience. Sudbury, you know, I told my parents I want to go to Sudbury. I mean, back then too, it wasn't as easy to get there. I mean, you know, the, the, I was 69 now, it was four lanes for most of it. Back then it was a double lane. It was a long trip up there. And uh, I didn't know what, I was in high school, I didn't know kind of what I knew I wanted to work in sports didn't know how to get there and then I, I found out about the program up there where it was a business uh, you got a business degree but kind of specializing in, in 
Ford's management, which, you know, the light went on and that was the only place I wanted to go. So I, I got accepted and, and went up there and it was good. It, it's a small university and, uh, um, you know, the profs knew everybody and, and, uh, you know, the city itself back then was a little rougher than it is now, but, um, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I made some really good friends there. Uh, I met my wife there. She, she's not in sports at all, but, uh, she's a graduate from there too. And so it was four really good years, made some very good friends that I'm very close, uh, with to this day. And, uh, you know, as I said, the, the professors there were really good. It was small classes. I spent time with you and, and, uh, it was kind of a, back then it was, you know, it was kind of a combination of phys ed and business, which suited me great. And, and, uh, you know, but it was just a means to an end. I knew I had to get a degree or I wanted to get a degree and, and, uh, you know, hockey was still the priority, but it allowed me kind of to do both. And, uh, it was just fate that, you know, I got a chance to scout for the Peets, uh, three out of my four years in, in Sudbury. So it was busy, but, uh, it was good. I, uh, no complaints and, uh, really enjoyed my time up there. It sounds like a, a great opportunity to kind of uh, almost have a, a schooling background to what you want to do down the road. And then obviously uh, with Peter not having that Northern scout, um, being able to jump into that role and stay involved in hockey at the same time, it just seems like a win-win situation. Uh, it in is, 19... uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say it's, uh, it's tough. It was tough though, like no car and uh, you know, we're up North and uh, you know, you're going from Sault Ste. Marie, you know, Kirkland Lake, you're going. So it was uh, buses or, you know, hitchhiking whatever I had to do to get there I did it and somebody that again that was really good to me was Jack Ferguson I mean he would be up there you know for Ottawa scouting and he'd pick me up and uh, so he, he really helped me especially when I didn't have a car but I found ways to get the games that you know needed to be covered for the Peets and uh, it wasn't easy especially when you weren't getting paid for it <laughs> so yeah. anyways but again you know you don't do it for money you do it because you're passionate and uh, and I you know again I I always grateful for the opportunity that Dave Dryden gave me with the Peets and uh, allowed me to spend 30 years there. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, that passion and, and that commitment from day one was obviously uh, because they saw something in you and they saw that passion as well. So in 1989, you would be promoted to assistant GM and assistant coach. How was that transition and uh, touch on how it was leading into coaching and management after, you know, primarily being a scout and some other minor roles before? Well, back then, Ryan, it was a lot different because junior hockey, I mean, we had three people there. We had a secretary, uh, Dick, or three full-time people. We had the secretary. We had Dick Todd, who was a coach and general manager. I was the head trainer. Uh, first couple of years, as I said, we had Jacques Martin. He was part-time because he was teaching as well. But uh, so everybody did everything, <laughs> you know, like uh, you're selling ads, you're finding billets, you're the trainer, you're scouting. Um, uh, but I was fortunate too, because I spent a lot of time around Roger Nielsen and, and Roger had a huge influence on the Peets. And uh, I worked his hockey school from day one for about 20, 20 summers. Uh, I ultimately became the, the head instructor there. So I knew all of Roger's uh, systems, which were a lot of what we did in Peterborough. So I think ultimately in 89, we had just won the OHL and, and uh, we were OHL champions, went to the Memorial Cup in Saskatoon. And uh, I, have to, I was thankful. I mean, the board of directors and Dick Todd kind of realized that, you know, I didn't want to be a trainer the rest of my life. And uh, so they moved me into uh, uh, assistant coach, assistant general manager. And, and it was pretty seamless because I'd been running hockey schools. And, and uh, you know, so being on the ice every day was, was great. Um, I, I did miss being a trainer because you become very close to the players and uh, 
the one thing it was it, it really helped me was that I, even to this day I think I've got a really good sense I read kids pretty well and uh, you know I know over the years whether I was in Oshawa or Peterborough or even in Kingston you can sense when a kid's up or down kind of just from being around it you know and spending time with with uh, players and understanding how they think you know really helped me as a trainer and then or as a it, being a trainer and, and going through all that really helped me moving forward so being an assistant coach is really it's, it's a good job in the, in the OHL because you get to be the good guy and you develop relationships with uh, players and you pick them up kind of when the coach kicks them and so I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the assistant general manager didn't change much. I was still doing all the, not all, but the bulk of the scouting. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that came with being assistant general manager, I was already doing anyways, but the coaching part was good. And uh, I really loved it. I love being on the bench. Uh, I'm a very competitive guy. And, and uh, so it was a pretty easy transition, but there were, believe it or not, there were parts of being a trainer that I missed. And, I still have the relationships, but they're a little bit different when you're in a little bit more of an authority figure, because when you're the trainer, players tell you everything, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. everything. And, and, uh, um, they were still pretty good when I was assistant coach cause they trusted me, but uh, it's just not the same, but, uh, but I loved it being on the ice every day and work with the players being on the bench. Uh, you know, I, I ran the defense, Dick Todd ran the forwards and, uh, it was good. I was old. I played defense my whole life. So just to be able to work with guys, you know, and help them get better and then coach was good. And, and, you know, I was very fortunate. I coached against guys like Brian Kilray and Burt Templeton, you know, the real like old school, but really good coaches and learned, you know, I watched how they ran their benches and uh, it, it was, you know, there were some really good lessons uh, that I learned uh, as a coach. So um, it was fun. It was you know, very grateful for that opportunity. Definitely. And anytime you can, um, you know, gain a little bit more, uh, you know, involvement in this area, like you said, obviously, at that point, there was a, it was maybe a little bit different situation than it is today. You had more, uh, you're more hands on and everything. Anytime you can yeah. get that little bit more experience, like you said, be on ice a little bit more and maybe outside of what some people would call their comfort zone is obviously um, a key point. And you obviously learned a lot during that time. So yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, definitely. So Moving forward a little bit further, in 1993, after being with the Peets for a little over 10 years or so, uh, you eventually gained the title of general manager with the franchise. Uh, speak to your time in that role, including how the opportunity, you know, ultimately came about, and uh, what was your experience uh, in that job, in that role as a whole over the next 10 to 15 years? Well, uh, I was a general manager there for, I think it was 17 years, but it just shows you, Ryan, winning is so crucial because in 89, we were OHL champions and it, you know, it resulted in me being promoted to assistant coach, assistant general manager. And 93, we won again, we're OHL champions and uh, Dick Todd left to become assistant coach for the New York Rangers. And, uh, you know, the debate within the organization and, you know, within myself internally and, and with my wife and uh, I had, you know, two little girls at the time, uh, but you know, the, the debate was, you know, was I going to take over just as coach and general manager? Um, the, the board at the time felt that the league was growing to the point where we might be better off, you know, having a general manager and a coach. And uh, I, I was torn a little bit because I really didn't want to give up the coaching because I, I, I really enjoyed it. But <clears throat> realistically, I, I think in my heart, I knew I probably was a much better general manager than I was a head coach. And, uh, you know, my passion was more, I, I was kind of more in, in line with that. Uh, I, I felt that 
if I was going to be a, the head coach and general manager, it, it was almost a little bit of an ego thing on my part because I didn't want to give up the coaching. So um, after talking it out, you know, my wife, we talked about it. I, I agreed with the board and uh, you know, I agreed to become the, the, the general manager, which in hindsight was a good move, I think. So um, win, winning creates a lot of opportunities, obviously. So, you know, first two OHL championships uh, resulted in me getting promoted, which, uh, again, I'm always forever grateful for um, being a general manager again back then it was a bit of a simpler time although it was moving it was moving into a more difficult time when, when, when I took over was the first year that uh, teams had actual OHL contracts that had to be filed um, back before that you'd have individual kind of agreements with players where it was a little bit you know I don't know archaic but they were moving into the contract age they were moving into the computer age so there was changes um, but I still had 17 years worth. I had a lot of, of opportunity to be, you know, to be innovative and try different things and try and separate ourselves as an organization, do things a little different. Um, the, you know, now the OHL, for a variety of reasons, kind of controls a lot of what the teams do. So um, it was great. Like I, I was really fortunate. Uh, you know, we had some good players, and uh, we won again in '96, another championship three years later, and and. Uh, uh, hosted the Memorial Cup that year, and that was one of the best memories because we knew in, I think it was December, January, that we were going to host, and uh, we, we had a, you know, we had a good team, but I, on paper, we probably weren't as good as some of the teams that were ahead of us, and in fact, we, after the first round of the playoffs in 96, every team we played finished ahead of us in the standings, so we went in and, and uh, went into the finals against Guelph, uh, won the OHL championship in a seventh game and, and hosted uh, and lost in the Memorial Cup final. Um, but uh, the, the key takeaway was that team was pretty special because they knew they were in and uh, they found a way to become OHL champions as well. So um, well, that was the third championship and, and uh, you know, very significant because we hosted the cup in our city and played, uh, played for the Memorial Cup in the final uh, uh, against Granby and lost. And, and back then, Ryan, it was different too, because that was the last Memorial Cup where you had to play the semifinals one day, finals the next. Now you get a day in between. And I think they realized that year. We probably had the best team. Um, but give Granby credit. I mean, they they beat us. And we had beat them in the round robin, but they had a better goals for and against. So they had a they had a, uh, a buy into the finals. But we had to go back to back. And, and uh, you know, the emotional high of winning in the semifinals and we got to get right back at it the next day was, was difficult. So I'm really proud of that team, OHL champions and, uh, you know, Memorial cup finalists in our hometown. So that was an exciting year. So anyways, a long winded answer, but you know, those 17 years of, of being a general manager were very rewarding. Um, had a chance to be influential on a lot of kids lives, uh, you know, impacted them. I think, you know, for the most part, positively, I think. I'm sure there's some kids that, you know, got cut or never thought they got a fair shake. But, you know, just just you look on a lot of these players now that came through here, and I'm, I'm pretty proud and stay in touch with the majority of them. So, but being a general manager, you know, you have to care about the kids and junior and, and uh, create a safe environment and, and uh, you know, at the same time put together, you know, a team that has a chance to win. So, so it, was, it was good. I, I enjoyed being a general manager, enjoyed, uh, you know, being around the players and, and, you know, hopefully having a positive influence on most of them. For sure. And I think it speaks to, you know, your level of commitment and, and like you said, caring about the players and making sure they're comfortable in that situation too. Uh, obviously being a, 
that position for 17 years and you touched on, you know, some of the success, um, obviously reaching the Memorial Cup final um, hosting, but also winning the OHL championship, like those experiences, uh, you know, not everybody gets to go through them. So it's great to hear that you had those on ice experiences as well as the success off the ice. Switching gears a little bit, um, after a few seasons there, obviously quite a long tenure, uh, you would start scouting for the Arizona Coyotes. How did you find that opening? Uh, what was your initial excitement and how was it different scouting in the OHL as opposed to the OHL, which you had done for a number of years? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, in this business, sometimes things, things happen that aren't, aren't fun. So we won again in 2006, uh, probably had the best season in the, in the history of the, of the Pete's franchise. And four years later, uh, they called me in and fired me. Um, I think everybody probably has a shelf life. Um, there was some probably underlying factors there that, you know, were a little disappointing with the team, but um, all of a sudden I was fired and uh, I, had, I had two daughters in university. Um, I, I'd never, I'd never faced anything like that before. And, uh, you know, called me in and five minutes it was over. And uh, so, you know, it forces you to, to kind of self-evaluate. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had two months left on my contract. Um, so it was a tough time. And then, uh, uh, a friend of mine who actually grew up in Lindsay as well, for the most part, uh, Don Maloney, who's currently the assistant uh, GM with the Calgary flames. And I think he's a vice president there, but, um, him and his brother, Dave and their, and their family were very close to my parents and, and Don and Dave were kind of my hockey idols. Um, and it was just a stroke of luck that uh, Don called me in the, in the summer and just told me that, you know, they had a scout covering Ontario and uh, he, they had let him go and uh, they had an opening where I'd be interested. And uh, you know, I, I was hoping I could stay in junior in the OHL cause that's, that's what I was good at, but there were no openings. And uh, so I was grateful Don gave me a chance uh, to join the coyotes and, and to scout. And uh, it was a real learning experience because obviously a lot of time in junior, I, thought I had it figured out scouting and how to do it and uh you know had some success doing it finding good players and uh you get the NHL it, it was a whole different level and uh I learned a ton uh Keith Gretzky was the head scout there at the time and um you know Don Don was very involved but uh it was really good I was uh learned a lot I got to you know, I went, I went to Europe, I went out West, I went to uh, Quebec, you know, the USHL. So saw a lot of leagues that I hadn't seen before and got exposed to a lot of things uh, in meetings, uh, different levels of hockey. Europe was, I'd been there before for, you know, different tournaments when I was with the Peets, uh, but not to the extent that, that I was with the Coyotes. So um, it, it was different, um, but certainly it was a learning experience. So it was good. I, I, I again, very grateful. Don uh, gave me the chance, and uh, you know, it, it just expanded my knowledge you know, a, a lot more than I thought it would going into it. Because I used to think scouting in the NHL was easy because you, know, you scout one game a day basically. Uh, whereas in junior, you could be 12, 12 hours in a rink, as you know. Um, but I found out there's a lot more to it than that, and it's I had a whole new respect for the guys that do it um, once I got there for sure. Definitely, and. Again, just to kind of build on that, it's it's one of those opportunities where, you know, people say when, when you've kind of learned everything at that level, it's time to take that leap of faith and, and put yourself in a situation that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And, and maybe that was the case with you. Like you said, you were so accustomed to junior hockey and obviously very successful at that level. But then here you are in a whole new league, a whole new process, kind of almost starting over in a sense and, and learning the things at that level. So 
Um, obviously, yeah. those opportunities don't come to everybody. And, and when it came in your way, it was almost uh, too good to be true. And you had to kind of jump into it with, uh, you know, with everything you had and kind of learn as you go. So uh, it's great to hear that you had that experience and, and were successful. And obviously, anytime you can, uh, you know, travel the world a little bit um, with hockey, it's, it's a, an added bonus in that fact. Well, I think too, Ryan, that, you know, one of the messages that, that, that I've always talked about with this too is, you know, uh, I was devastated. You know, I'd never been fired before. And, and uh, you know, my whole life was basically my family and, and the Pete's and I'd been a Pete for 30 years. You know, like I have a, I have a Pete's tattoo, you know, so, um, but the lesson that comes out of it, I think is, uh, you know, you learn. And, and one of the things it did for me, it, it, it I learned I could survive it. And, uh, so I no longer fear it. <laughs> you know, if I get fired, I get fired. I, it allowed me to be much more, um, I don't sit on the fence on things. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I have opinions on things and, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't stress about my job now. I, I, you know, so I, I, in some ways it was a gift because you learn, you learn that you can, you can survive it, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it takes some of the fear away and, it takes some of the fear away from, you know, being wrong on things. You know, you can't, you can't be afraid. Like it's, uh, you know, you can't, well, there's one of my favorite coaches, uh, with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, you know, and he always said, you can't play scared, <laughs> you know, so you, you can't be in this business and be scared. And there is a bit of fear until you overcome some of this stuff. So I think uh, long-term it, it, you know, I still probably have some resentment about it, but at the end of the day, it made me better. And, uh, so you know, just take it and move forward. Yeah, and moving forward is exactly what you did, obviously, with the NHL job. But a few seasons later, you came back to the OHL, this time with the Oshawa Generals. How did you end up in Oshawa? And how was this role both similar and different from your time uh, as general manager with the Peets? Well, it was a little bit surreal because I, I don't think the fans of today realize that the rivalry that used to be between Peterborough and Oshawa. And... Uh, the old Oshawa Civic Auditorium was not a fun place to go into when we played Oshawa and vice versa. And Ryan, when we used to leave Peterborough to go to Oshawa, um, there wouldn't be a sound on the bus for 45 minutes. And there, there was, I'd have to say there was, there was mutual respect between the two organizations, but there was a genuine hatred. I mean, we hated the Oshawa generals with a passion and uh, they hated us. So uh, the thought of, you know, one day working for them never crossed my mind. Um, and they were going to go through some changes and the ownership there was Pete DeBoer and, and Adam Graves owned uh, half of the team basically with uh, Rocco Tulio. And, and it was Pete DeBoer that reached out to me, um, you know, to see whether I'd be interested in, in coming back. And uh, yeah, I wasn't really happy with the way things ended in Peterborough or, and uh, so, you know, after I, I got thinking about it, and, and I was, again, very, very fortunate that Tom Maloney gave me permission to talk to them uh, and assured me that if I went, um, I could always come back to the Coyotes. So you don't get that too often uh, from an NHL guy. And he made it clear, if you want to go, go. You can always come back, though. So that made it a little easier. So, uh, you know, I, I made the jump and uh, became an Oshawa general. And I remember... Uh, they have a trainer there, Brian Boyce, who's probably the best trainer in all of hockey. And uh, we had a press conference and he gave me a bag of stuff, you know, golf shirts and stuff. And I looked at it, I was like, wow, I, I can't believe I'm putting a general's jacket on. Or, uh, but I got to say, once I got there, 
um, it, it was great. Uh, the, the building, as you know, was great. Uh, the fans there were really good. They really accepted me. Um, it seemed to mean a lot to them. I bought a condominium right downtown, right across from the rink. Um, you know, nobody had ever done that, I guess. So the fans thought that was like, I'm living right in downtown Oshawa. I embraced it and the, the fans were really good. And, and uh, obviously we had some success. Uh, uh, the ownership gave me complete autonomy in hiring a coach, which I'd never had before. Uh, you know, Peterborough always has to run through a board and 10 different opinions, but uh, they gave me full autonomy. Um, I, I interviewed 25 guys. Uh, I wanted to go through a lot of different coaches to get a feel for what was going on. Um, to see who was out there. And, and the one guy, I think it was the second interview I had, was uh, DJ Smith. And he just resonated with me. And uh, despite interviewing 25 guys, I probably kept going back to DJ about four times. And, uh, you know, when it, was what, it was probably the best move I made because that team needed that, – that team had a lot of talent, but they were soft and uh, they were selfish. And they really – they needed a strong presence to coach them. And uh, – I've always said the most important part of a junior team is the coach. I mean, you can't win without a good coach. And uh, DJ, if, if you know him at all, has a, he's got a huge presence and he's very passionate. He's knowledgeable. Um, he's 24 uh, seven dialed in. So, you know, brought him in and, and him and I clicked, we became good friends and, and uh, you know, we had the coaching set up pretty good. And then we brought in Paul McFarland uh, who, had no plans. He was going to be a teacher and he was going to coach minor hockey in Toronto. And it's a kind of a good story too. G DJ came and, and said to me, you know, I'd like you to interview Paul McFarland. I, I think he'd be a good assistant. I was really reluctant at first. I just thought we needed somebody with more experience and uh, DJ talked me into interviewing him. So I, I brought him in and after sitting with him for two hours, I was like, you know, wow, I, now I see it. And, uh, so we hired him, and so there was DJ and, and Paul McFarland and myself, and uh, th those were two years, probably two of the best years of all my uh, time in hockey. We did, DJ and I collaborated on everything. You know, he knew everything about the trades that we were doing, the draft. I knew everything he was doing with coaching. I sat in on all his meetings. Uh, him and I spent a lot of time together. Um, you know, just the way we had a little place we'd like to go in Oshawa, you know, just have a couple beers. All we did was talk hockey 24-7. So... Those two years were really good. And we had two good years there. My second year, we lost in the conference finals. Uh, but we had guys like Scotty Lott in there and, and uh, Boone Jenner. Um, it was a really good kids there, too. A mature group. Obviously, the year after I left, they won the Memorial Cup. So, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't get a ring, nor do I want to take credit for it. But I uh, certainly think I had a – you know, I was proud of those guys. I think I had a little bit of an impact on them. And uh, what, what, some of the things we did in Oshawa, we – we changed that culture in a hurry. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, those kids went through some tough, some of the things we did were really tough and they got their eyes open. But, uh, I remember seeing them, I went to the Memorial cup in Quebec city and, uh, I was with somebody I said, but I said, that team won't lose a game. You know, they'll go, they'll go four and oh, they won't lose a game there. And I know those kids, like we had Scotty Sabran, who's you know, with the Ottawa senators now, just, I know them. And, uh, Sure enough, they never lost a game, won the Memorial Cup. So I wasn't part of it, but certainly uh, very proud of that group as well. Yeah, and obviously, you know, having that connection to the team, it's great to see them be successful. And um, it's also great to hear that, you know, like you said, maybe it didn't finish off with the piece the way you wanted it. So having that opportunity to kind of come back in and, and do it over again and having the relationship, you know, Paul McFarland and then DJ Smith and having that great culture around you, obviously, um, made it a little bit easier going to a team that was, uh, like you said, at one point, 
maybe not your preferred destination, but obviously you made the most <laughs> of the opportunity and, and looking back, you can obviously um, enjoy your time there. So you touched on uh, the opportunity was always there to go back to Arizona. And in 2014, that's what you did moving back in as an assistant director of scouting uh, with the team. What was your initial thought process in being presented this opportunity to be maybe a little more involved and talk about the past associated with that role? Well, it, you know, there's, uh, I, as I said, I loved it in Oshawa. I loved, I loved the building. The fans were great. Uh, you know, the, the facilities there makes it so easy to recruit. You know, everybody wanted to play there. We had a, so we had a good coach. Everything was positive. The ownership changed. Uh, Pete and Adam, uh, Pete DeBoer and Adam Graves kind of stepped back from it a little bit, which, you know, uh, the other gentleman, Rocco Tulio, kind of took over most of the control. And, uh, you know, I think he, he wanted me to be probably a little more um, open to what he wanted to do, and uh, which was his right as an owner. Um, it just wasn't a good fit for me. I could just see that there was just going to be problems. And, uh, you know, Don had reached out to me again and, and uh, you know, was asking, let me know I could go back there. So I, I talked to Don and I said, you know, I, I think this is probably going to be the best thing. Uh, if I walk away from the from the generals and uh, and go back there and and when I left uh, the Coyotes, the guy that replaced me was Tim Bernhardt, and uh, they had promoted him to director of amateur scouting. And Tim, Tim's a really good friend of mine, and uh, uh, so the the thought of going back working for Don Maloney, who I trust, he's, there's not many people in hockey you can have 100% trust in, but Don's such a good person, and I trusted him. And uh, Tim Bernhardt's a good friend, so to be able to work closely with Tim under, under Don. And, and I, I loved Arizona too. Every time I went there, I just love, it's such a great place. I mean, if they can ever get that stabilized, uh, everybody would want to play there. Um, great, great. Uh, just the state itself is so beautiful. The weather's great. So I loved it there. So, so just to be able to go back and Don wanted to expand my role and, you know, he gave me a title, you know, assistant director of amateur scouting, uh, which was great. And, and, you know, Tim Bernhardt, is one of the best scouts I've ever been around. I mean, his, his knowledge, his memory, uh, I learned so much from him. And, and again, you know, you, you look at it, okay, I've been in the NHL. I've been back in junior. I've got this scouting thing all figured out. Uh, after spending time with Tim, uh, I learned again. I had a lot to learn. And, and uh, I don't know that anybody ever taught me more about scouting than, than Tim Bernhardt. And, uh, just a brilliant mind. And, and uh, so that job was, was – it was bigger now because it really – you know, I was with Tim. We, we had to see all the top guys. So there was multiple trips to Europe. There was a Western League. There was college hockey. Every, any, anywhere that our scouts kind of identified priority players, I had to go. So the travel was, uh, was interesting. You know, I got to go to, you know, Russia and pretty well everywhere in Europe, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Finland, Switzerland, you know, Sweden. Um, so it, it was good, and we had really good staff there. Um, we had a guy like Mike Sands, who's based out of Moncton, uh, who had been a head scout for, for the Calgary Flames, you know, and just uh, a real good hockey mind. So we had a, it was a small group there, but uh, and we had some spirited arguments, but it was good. We could do that within our group, and then we'd go out and have a couple beers after, you know, because it was all for the greater good of the Arizona Coyotes. There was no hidden agendas there. It's just a really good staff. So, uh, you know, very thankful that, uh, I got those four or five years in with, with Tim and, uh, just continued to learn. It was, it was very good. Yeah. And I was obviously interested in hearing that expanded role and, 
Um, obviously, the opportunity, like you said, to go to Russia, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Switzerland, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And and being around these scouts and, the, you know, like you said, former head scout being on staff, you know, then the amount of knowledge and the amount of games watched between the, uh, the collective group must have been uh, pretty surreal to be around on a daily basis. Well, it, it was, Ryan. And what, what comes with it, too? Like, the more you're with a group, and if you look at the good teams in the NHL, they have stable stable scouting staffs. They, have, they keep their groups together. Uh, everybody knows their role. And uh, I would say that we were really on the verge of starting to do something really special there just because as a group, we all understood our roles. There was mutual respect uh, for everybody on the staff. Everybody was confident. If they wanted to argue, they could argue. Um, and we had our last two or three drafts were really good. And uh, so it was disappointing that that had to end because, like I said, I, I really think we, we had a really good thing going there led by Tim Bernhardt and uh, uh, the lessons I learned um, with him were, were invaluable. The lessons I learned after he left, uh, maybe not as positive, but equally invaluable um, just towards what I think makes successful teams and organizations work. For sure. And, and like you said, whenever um, you can get a group and obviously you get the right pieces, it's, uh, it's exciting to see what you can do and, and sometimes you see it through and sometimes, you know, you kind of just have to uh, take a step back and then, you know, wait and see what your, your prospects you scouted or, or the things you've implemented, how they play out, you know, similar to the way in Oshawa where they ultimately won uh, just after you uh, joined the Coyotes again. So fast forwarding to this past season, uh, you once again returned to the OHL as a senior advisor with the Kingston Frontenacs. Uh, speak to that position and the opportunity to work with the team featuring young talents such as uh, you know, Murray and the often mentioned Shane Wright. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you know, the general manager there, uh, Darren Kiley, is a friend of mine that, uh, you know, like, like me, was very close to Roger Nielsen. Um, we had a hockey school in Port Hope with Roger for many summers, and I met Darren first when he was a, a young kid. And, and uh, yeah, actually worked for us here in Peterborough as well as assistant coach, assistant general manager. Um, he reached out to me and, and I was looking for something. I mean, I'm a, I'm a hockey guy. I, you know, I have to be involved in something. And uh, he reached out to me and, and uh, certainly the pay wasn't uh, much to write home about, but um, it just really intrigued me. And uh, Darren, Darren was great because he gave me full access to everything. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the trainers, a lot of time with the coaches, the scouting staff. We, revamped a lot of how they scouted their lists, um, their, their, their rink net reports, how they did it. Um, so really, you know, was involved in everything there. And, uh, you know, I love the city again, a great building. Um, you could see the team was really poised to be pretty good. It was a tough season, but um, to, to be able to watch Shane Wright, you know, and what he does, um, you know, I, I, I was looking at it thinking like, geez, if I could, I might, just happy to stay here for a couple of years, just doing what I'm doing as an advisor. Cause I really believe, you know, we could, we could do some damage with this team. You know, I, I felt very passionately that this was a Memorial cup team. Um, Cause I've seen it, you know, I, I've obviously, you know, I've been through four OHL championships and you can tell a team that's on the verge of really moving forward. And, and uh, I could see it there. And, and uh, you know, you've got a special player in Shane Wright, which is, crucial to winning. Um, the other part of winning that you, no team will ever win if they don't have a leader. And one thing about Shane Wright, he is a natural leader. And uh, his ability, even as a 15-year-old, I've never seen anything like it. And put aside the ability, because everybody knows, but 
people that don't see what he does in practice or, you know, how he interacts with his teammates or how he deals with things it, it, it you know, I just watched him all year. And I was like, man, this guy, uh, you know, the skills are obvious, but the other part, the maturity, the, the leadership is just natural, you know? And, and uh, so with him as a center point, I thought, man, I might finally get a chance at, you know, winning a Memorial cup with this group. And, and uh, you know, so it, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, was very involved, obviously, in bringing Paul McFarland uh, back in there. And, uh, you know, end of the day, it didn't work out. So uh, you know, we've moved on from there, too. So which is disappointing because I really think that team has such high, high-end potential. And uh, the market there could be really special in Kingston. And, uh, you know, hopefully they, they figure it out. Um, but the potential there is both on the ice and off is, is really high. Yeah for sure and um you know before i was even with the sting or anything i was uh had the opportunity to kind of watch players i was with the scout.ca and shane wright was one of those players who um you know i watched him for 15 minutes and you kind of close a notebook because you know you know there's there's nothing more to see here you you know what you're getting and and you know if you're lucky enough to take him in the draft you you will kind of thing but um, obviously a, a a great rookie season and um you know i'm sure his name was one that we'll hear for for quite a while and it's it's great to hear that you had uh, you know a positive experience in that first year and uh you know it may be dumb but at least you were able to kind of get back in and like you said um you know help out with that organization and, and see how things um could be moving forward you know you you've been in hockey operations now at the junior level and you know in scouting at the nhl level for a number of years looking back to when you started uh what are some of the major differences whether it be in operations dealing with players, training, et cetera. Uh, what are the major differences? And then additionally speak to the elevated play, whether it's at the AAA level or all the way up to the NHL level. Well, the difference is now, Ryan, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger business than it used to be. Um, as I said, I started in Peterborough myself as secretary and, and the head coach, you know, and we did everything. Now these, these teams are big business. As you know, you're part of Sarnia. The, the, these staffs aren't small anymore, um, you know, and, and, with that probably comes, you know, winning, winning is always important. Obviously. Um, I think winning at all expense is probably not the good way to go in junior, but it's probably creeping in, in a lot of situations. Um, you know, back then the trades were trade weren't like they are now. You didn't see the number of trades teams drafted, you know, held on to the players developed for the most part. There's all, there was always trades, but just to put it in perspective, uh, uh, the year after we, we were OHL champions in 93, uh, my first year as general manager, I traded Mike Harding, who was the all-time leading scorer for the Peets. He was an overage player. He was our captain. And I traded him to the Detroit Junior Wings. Uh, and I got a third-round pick and another overage back, Rick Morton. And people were calling me, telling me what a thief I was. So they couldn't believe I could get a third-round pick for half a season. You know, Now a guy like Mike Harding – you know, he, he was a great junior. Um, that guy's worth who knows how many seconds, you know, and you're throwing your first round pick in there uh, that you just drafted. So, uh, you know, that part I think is, is, has changed a lot. And, and uh, you know, to see with some teams are really quick to move their first round picks. Uh, I think back, back years ago that the process was respected more. I think now teams want to jump start it or they want to kind of skip the process of, you know, the growing pains. But 
any team I ever had that was a champion had to go through growing pains. And if you skip that and you try and cheat the process, your chances of winning are probably somewhat limited. I mean, it still happens, but um, I, I probably have a bit of an archaic mindset in that I like, I like to draft and develop and uh, make trades when, you, when you're convinced you're close. Um, but trading should never be as easy as it is for some teams now in the OHL from what I can see. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and, and draft picks aren't as valuable as they yeah. once were. I mean, second, you'd never give up a second round pick years ago. Now you just throw second round picks away, nor would you ever trade your first round pick, especially if he was a 16 year old, you know, which seems to be more and more. So, um, so as I say, it's just a different, different time. And, and, uh, um, you know, the way I like to do things may be archaic, doesn't make it right in today's world, but uh, that's some of the changes. On the ice, Ryan, I, I got to say the game is way better. Like the game is so fast. It's like the NHL now. Um, the, the players now are year round. You know, they have skill coaches. They've got, you know, their conditioning is way better than it used to be years ago. Um, I think years ago, the league was a lot tougher. And when I say tougher, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean fighting but it's just hard, physical. Um, the rivalries were in place where teams actually hated, you know, uh, other teams. Uh, uh, we had a guy like Ty Domi, you know, who would never, ne never forget a slight. If it was three years later, you know, he still wanted to pay a guy back. So, so that mentality is different. The players are all friends now, but, but, and that's not all bad, but the actual style of play, the speed, the skill, the conditioning's, way higher than it was 30 35 years ago for sure yeah i think it just goes to show that uh the game has obviously changed and you touched on hockey operations and and then as well um off on the ice per se it, it just you know it's changed so much and the thinking whether it be the players approach like you said it's a 12 uh, 12 months a year thing or the, the general managers coaches approach their styles it, it's all changed and i think the the biggest task for anybody is kind of keeping with the trends, but also not staying maybe stagnant. And if you do have a philosophy, like you said, you know, drafting, developing, maybe like you, you call it an archaic uh, mindset. Um, you can still do that today. It's just uh, maybe tweaking it to adapt to the, the new style of the game. So I think that's a great way to, to kind of put that. Uh, there's a few listener questions that I kind of wanted to bring up. One of them uh, involving the GM role specifically, uh, you know, being a GM isn't always just about the trades and the, the drafting, which is, is usually what's in the, the public sphere and what people are most interested in. But, um, you know, speaking to your time in Peterborough and even more recently uh, with Oshawa and then Kingston, uh, what are some of the responsibilities that you do behind the scenes that maybe the normal person doesn't really think about when, uh, when uh, considering a general manager or an advisor or anybody in a similar role? Well, I mean, over the years, there's probably not much I haven't dealt with, <laughs> Ryan, but you know, there's things like school. I mean, you know, we, Roger Nielsen started the whole, um, you know, school, schoolboy athlete type, you know, you had to go to school if you played in Peterborough and, and that was Rogers, you know, he, that was, that was unique back when he was coaching now. I mean, I think all teams, you know, they, they're, they're on that, but you know, just communicating with the school every day, making sure guys are there, making sure, you know, guys are, are, are taking school seriously. Um, you know, I've over the years, I've had players where, you know, you call them in and say, look, we're getting some, some um, pushback from the school. You're not doing your work. So if we get another call, we're sitting you, you know, and, and uh, you know, just, and you have to back it up. So you spend a lot of time, you know, just trying, like, trying not to lose sight of the fact that these are kids, 
and there's somebody's kid that you've got in, on your team and school matters. I mean, you don't want them leaving, um, you know, with nothing to show for it. Cause let, let's be honest, most of them aren't going to be NHL players. I mean, I had a 40 goal scorer once and I, and I told him we were going into the playoffs and I, it, it scared the hell out of me, but I told him, you know, you miss a class, you miss a game because I knew the only way I could keep him in school was because he was so passionate about hockey. So I'd call the school every day and say like, is he there? Yep. He's there. Okay. He can play tonight. <laughs> you know, he's 40 goal guy. So it's stuff like that. It's, it, it's, um, you know, you're, you're constantly dealing with season ticket. Like when I was in Peterborough, I, I oversaw the whole operation. So there's marketing issues that you're dealing with, uh, the season ticket holders, the things you're dealing with, um, the off season, you're worried about your schedule, you know, how to put the schedule together. Uh, you know, the buses, there's, there's just a multitude of things. I, I used to come home, you know, at the end of the day and my wife would say to me like, what did you do all day? Like you just sit around. What do you do? Like, there's no game. I'd be like, I'm not really sure what I did, but I was busy all day. Like my day never ended. You know, I used to be in the office at, you know, seven in the morning just cause I love being around there and, and uh, it wouldn't get home to six and, you know, but there's something every day, you know, there's agents uh, uh, you're dealing with your, you know, your scouting. I mean, you've got to stay on top of that. Your lists are dealing with your scouts, dealing with your trainers, equipment, uh, injuries, you know, there's just, there's always something. And these kids, you know, they're kids. So they have normal everyday problems too. And you got to recognize it and, you know, care enough to bring them in and, and, and talk to them when you sense it, you know, and, and, uh, and, and really care about them. So, so it does, it, it, every day is different, Ryan, as you, you're in the business, but it's just, you know, it's one thing after another, it never ends. And, and it's all good. I mean, it's, but it comes with the territory, the games and the actual drafting and trying to put a team together and develop your philosophy. That's all the fun parts, but you got to put up with a lot of the other stuff too. And, and let's be honest, there's a lot of travel. I mean, I was a general manager that, that, I scouted a lot. So I was on the road a lot and, uh, you know, the team either with the team or scouting. So it's, it's a long winded answer, but there, there's a lot going on there. It's not all fun and games. That's for sure. Yeah. And you have to be very dynamic, I think is a, is a good way to put it in a general manager role and, and be ready for almost anything. And I, I've spoken with a number of general managers now, um, some at the NHL level. And like I said, some down to, you know, junior C or, or something similar. And uh, yeah. you really, like you said, you really don't know what's going to come at you at the beginning of the day when you walk into that office. But I'm, I'm sure, you know, after being in that position for so long, you can attest you probably wouldn't want it any other way. And you, you want you know, to I think, keep busy. I think, I think as long as at, at, at the, you have a core value that you care about the players as people, um, you know, and, and I always used to tell parents that, listen, like, I understand. I got kids of my own. Like, they're, they're all grown up now and they're, they're girls. It's, not, it's a little different. But. I, I get it. Like your kid's 16, he's leaving home. Like Eric Stahl came to us. He was late birthday. So he was just still 15 when he came to us. He was 5'11", 142 pounds, just a scrawny little kid, you know? And, and, uh, and, and, it, and it's funny because he, he was one that fooled me because I thought he was adapting real easy. He's from Thunder Bay. And you know, I remember his dad, Henry telling me one time, he's like, Jesus, he goes the first six weeks, he called home every night in tears. He was homesick you know and sometimes these kids hide it from you too but that's what goes on i mean you see him now he's in the nhl i think he's a he's a potential hall of famer but he's just a little kid leaving home when he came to peterborough so you just you can never lose sight of that yeah definitely and 
you see the success that Eric Stahl is obviously having uh, throughout Carolina and now today in Minnesota. It just goes to show that, uh, you know, when you put that right philosophy in place and are there for the players, um, even in a situation, like you said, where maybe he was struggling at times, um, the opportunity to succeed is obviously still there. Uh, another listener question that came up um, talking about a player specifically is Shane Wright. I know you talked on his OHL ability and his um, ability as a leader, but uh, what level do you see him ultimately reaching maybe um, in his draft year and maybe even beyond that? Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of players, Ryan, and, and you know, when you have a combination of, of ability and character like Shane does, um, he's special. And uh, his leadership ability, there's, there's a, let's be honest, there's a lot of good players out there. A lot, of, a lot of guys have skill. The difference with Shane that I see is just the level of commitment, the, the maturity. Um, and, and I'll give you an example, like with him, which I've never seen with a young kid, he, he recognizes his teammates if there's issues. He, he sees it. Like, I remember one night we were playing, I, I think it was in Peterborough, and I was just kind of standing behind the team. They're, they're getting ready to go out. Uh, and we had a player that, you know, hadn't dressed for four or five games, and he was down kind of standing there. And Shane went up to try and give him a fist pump, you know, and the kid kind of gave him a half-assed fist pump, you know. And, you know, Shane put his arm around him you know, like just try to make him smile or, yeah. you know, you, you watch him in practice and uh, he doesn't interact like with all the older established guys. He gravitates towards the young guys, like, and brings them in. Doesn't matter if you're a fourth line guy. I, I've never seen a young kid bring kids in like he does. So uh, at the next level, he's a number one center, I think all day long. Uh, so smart offensively, his shot and his ability to score um, is is high, high end. I mean, he would have had 40 goals had the season not, um, you know, been, been ended. Uh, for a 15-year-old, that's, that's pretty impressive. And I, and I don't know, at the end of the day, if he outscored Connor McDavid. Um, but at one point, he, he was ahead of him over the same period of time. Now, he may have ended up ahead of him, too. Let's be honest, there's only one Connor McDavid. But gives you an idea of the level that I think he can get to. So he, he was really fun to watch. And I didn't interact a lot with him because I didn't, he had enough going on, you know, he had the coaches and the GM this, but I observed a lot with him and uh, that was really impressive. So uh, I'm really, I'm disappointed. I couldn't spend another couple of years with him, but I'm really excited to see where he's going to go. Cause uh, you don't see too many guys like him. No, exactly. And I'm sure, um, you know, me being on another team and, and people just being fans, they can all say that, uh, they'll be watching very closely to see where he ultimately does reach and, and who knows, maybe he'll uh, transition very easily to the NHL and we'll just have to kind of wait and see how that goes. Uh, another question that came up, this one more so about Arizona. Uh, you had the opportunity, obviously, with Don Maloney and, and you were very close with him, but you also had a, a time period there where you overlapped with John Chayka. Um, you know, he, he's one of those people that people are very interested in for his, his different approaches and obviously being a younger um, executive than we've seen uh, throughout, you know, hockey history and stuff. So are there any interesting stories about him or maybe just to uh, speak to what you see uh, from the outside and from interacting with him, um, you know, in terms of his abilities? Yeah, well, first of all, he, he was good to me. I, I left the Coyotes uh, because of some of the people he brought in, not, not because of John. He, he, he was good to me. Um, he's a different guy, um, very, very analytical, obviously. Uh, very bright guy, very intelligent. Um, pr 
probably lack some of the street smarts you get with, you know, experience and being around it. But, uh, you know, he, he was, I guess the one thing that, that disappointed me a bit, they, they were very guarded with their analytics and, and how they looked at players there. They didn't openly share that with, with us as scouts. Um, and not so much John, but he had other people underneath him that, you know, had a lot of opinions on, on players based on their numbers, but didn't share the numbers with us and didn't see the players live. So um, he, he's an interesting guy. As I said, he, he's, he's a brilliant mind. Um, I, I think that the one thing he probably lacks a little bit is street smarts. Um, and again, that comes from a lot of experience and being around it. And, uh, um, but, uh, he was good to me. I mean, I, I never really had an issue with, with John, as I said, it was more the people he brought in after. So interesting stories. I probably, I probably like, he was very guarded. John's, uh, you know, he, he's a very guarded guy. Um, probably didn't open up to us as much as, as maybe we would have liked him to those of us that, that were there. I think he had the, you know, a long-term plan. He, he probably didn't value the, the the uh, the eye test as much as the analytics or the number test, which was obviously his prerogative as a, as a general manager. But I think he saw long term some of the people he was bringing in uh, would be share share the same vision. Uh, but we, I thought as a staff, we were open to learning more about it, but we really were never given the chance. And I walked away in November from there again, just just because of some of the changes that were made there. Certainly not because of John. And uh, John was good. He you know tried to find a way to allow me to stay, but uh, it just was not going to be a good fit. So he's an interesting guy and I, I don't know where he's going to end up. Um, I don't think this exit from Arizona was probably good for him. Uh, by the sounds of it, it was a very bitter kind of divorce. So I don't know the, any of the ins and outs of it, but uh, you know, hopefully he ends up somewhere uh, where he feels good about. Definitely. And, and with a guy like John, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work with staff athletes and, and maybe don't have the the level of expertise, but I can see the way in which he's kind of uh, trending his approach. And I think it's important to, you know, marry that with the eye test and, and to not lean too heavily in one direction just to get all that into, um, you know, bring that all into play. And uh, I well, think just on that, on that, Ryan, it's interesting because when I, when I left the Coyotes, um, you know, I, I walked away and, and uh, I made a pact with myself that I was going to try and get better. And, I, and I, I started reaching out to a lot of analytics people that were, you know, highly respected in the business. And, and uh, the common theme from these people that, you know, some of whom work for successful NHL teams, some of uh, whom are writers, um, the, the common theme was that this only works if it's a collaborative approach between the eye test and the analytic um, approach and 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 I I agree with that 100% I think as an old school guy I have to be open minded to analytics and what they can bring and I think the analytics um crowd has to be in my mind a little more respectful or uh value the eye test but if those two things mesh together and you can work together towards a common uh, goal then your organization's going to be successful so I I truly believe in analytics that but, but I think, again, it has to be collaborative and it has to be respectful both ways. And unfortunately, it's not always like that. Yeah, I think it's just like you said, um, it's finding that equal balance. And then, um, you know, in, especially with it being new, it's going to be a while before we see it maybe full blown. But uh, like yeah. you said, if things are kind of uh, done in unity, like, like a roster, when they're all going in the same system and a common goal, you're going to see the results you won't, on that you won't end. Win. 
you won't win otherwise. I mean, if there's not a common goal and everybody working towards it, uh, and that's how the good teams like, you know, the Boston's, the, the Tampa's, the Phillies, I mean, you, you know, the, and obviously there's others, but those teams, I just love the way they do their business. You know, they're stable. Um, I think there's a collaborative approach. They've got guys that get out there and work and see the kids and then they work with analytically. It's all about what's best for the organization. That, that culture, when you have that culture with everybody working together, no agendas, uh, everybody respects each other's opinion, uh, when decisions are made, everybody supports it towards a common goal, then you've got a chance. If you don't have that, good luck to you because you're not going to win. Yeah, very, very well said. Uh, maybe switching to a, a little bit of a lighter question, this being the last listener question. Um, you know, after being involved with the Peets for so long and then having uh, recent interactions with uh, both uh, Oshawa and then Kingston, uh, when you see those teams playing together, how do you approach uh, cheering for one side or the other? That's going to be a tough one because uh, uh, Rob Wilson, who coaches the Peets, is, uh, I had him as a player, and he's, he's a very good friend of mine. And uh, we talk a lot. Uh, Paul McFarland's obviously going to be coaching Kingston, um, you know, very close as well. So I don't know. I just got to hope every game goes to a shootout, I guess. I, I don't have any connection other than those two to, to either of the other uh, teams, or Kingston or Peterborough, but uh, they're both really good people coaching there. Like Rob Wilson just did a phenomenal job with the Peets. I, I think he changed the culture, the whole perception of everything there. Um, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves um, as, you know, as more than a coach. I think people give him credit as a coach, but there's way more there. Like Rob has a real presence to him. Um, he's, he's done really good things in Peterborough. And, and Paul McFarland is just a young guy who decided to walk away from the Leafs once their season's over and, and because he wants to be a head coach, you know. So I've had many conversations with both those guys. I've, I've got so much respect for both of them. Uh, the friendship is, is is very deep with both of them. So, again, long-winded answer, but let's hope they both go to a shootout <laughs> whenever they play. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a that's a good way to kind of keep it neutral in that sense. Uh, switching gears here a little bit, um, you know, people are, always have these different resources that they look for. Um, a lot of times it's people, but other times it can be other things. Um, you know, podcasts such as this, people often say is resourceful or or things that are similar. So, you personally. Uh, over the years, what are some of your favorite books, articles, webinars, et cetera, that you have looked to for reference? Well, I'm a big reader, Ryan. Uh, and I've also discovered podcasts in the last uh, couple of years. So there's some podcasts that I, that I really like to listen to that I, that I think are pretty good. Um, there's one called uh, Executive Access. Um, it's a baseball one. Uh, I think anybody that's young, you know, that wants to get into the business, that's worth listening to because they tell the stories of a lot of executives in baseball and and how they did it, but a lot of it, a lot comes out of it too about culture and how they do things. So I, I like that one. Um, there's another one called the GM Shuffle. Uh, Michael Lombardi is an NFL writer. There's a lot comes out of that too in terms of philosophies and and, and culture. Um, book wise, um, one book I just finished. Um, I have a I have a son-in-law that's a high end, they're a high level soccer coach, and uh, he's I was never a soccer fan, but he he's you know, kind of increased my awareness of, of, you know, soccer. And uh, one of the teams that he is, is really pushed me to learn more about is Barcelona. And uh, I just finished a book that he gave me called the Barcelona way and uh, how they're, how they build their culture, uh, which I read it all. I was like, geez, I believe you know, it's everything I believe in. So, so it was good. It was good to read. Um, I've read every book 
on um, uh, Bear Bryant, football coach. I read a, probably the most powerful book I've read, and I've passed it on to other people. Not everybody sees it as powerful as me, but it's, uh, it's a book called The Junction Boys. And it's the story of Bear Bryant and how he took over at Texas A&M with a really terrible team that underachieved, soft, same thing, and, and, and what he did to change uh, the culture. And, and I've used a lot of that stuff. I used it in Peterborough. I used it in Oshawa. Um, it, and and it, it, it really, it, it, there's a lot of things that, that are really, I guess the key in it is to, to, to separate those that, that really want to be players and be part of it from those that don't. I've read a lot of the analytics book, Moneyball. Everybody read that. Um, Big Data Baseball. I've, I've read that. Uh, Astro Ball. Um, stuff like that. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called The Signal and the Noise. It's a lot about uh, analytics and projecting and how some project predictions come true, why, why some come true, why some don't, to help me kind of understand that. So um, things like that. I, I, I read a book uh, that's a couple times as well called The Packer Way, all about the Green Bay Packers and their culture. So good, good books that I, that I like, I read two or three times. I keep reading them, you know, like uh, just to reinforce things that, that uh, impacted me. So, so a lot of that, um, you know, I try every day. One of the great resources too is, is, is the athletic. I mean, I read that every day as much as I can. There's so many articles there, but you get a lot, a lot of good information out of that. So, so I, I'm, I'm big on podcasts. I, I, I love to read. I love to learn about teams. I, I love to talk about culture and building teams, building culture. Um, all that stuff to me is, is, is very valuable. So, um, I, I don't have a team right now, but I'm still trying to learn and, and get better. Yeah, I think that constant learning is something that everybody should strive for. And uh, a number of those books that you brought up, I usually ask people on the podcast this question, and you get a lot of overlap in the books. And I think um, whether it's a hockey book, uh, one that I'm reading, uh, Behind the Moves, I've, I've had it now for a number of years. And I've had a number of people kind of trying to buy it off me because it's it's one of those books that, you know, they're kind of gone off the market. Uh, but it's one of those that I, I think uh, you learn from NHL general managers and learn their their routines and things like that. But like you said, you know, FC Barcelona, the Packer way, Astro Ball, yeah. there's so many different things you can learn from different sports. And, and when you 100%. fuse them all together uh, in what you do in hockey, um, you know, there's so many new outlets for potential that you can kind of access because of these findings. Yeah, the other thing I did too, Ryan, which was valuable to me, uh, as I said, I spent a lot of time trying to learn and, and meet with analytics uh, experts. Uh, but I also took the time to, to put together uh, a whole scouting manual. Um, you know, my thoughts on, on putting a staff, yeah, everything at the NHL level, like, the, um, you know, my whole philosophies. You know, it's about, it's, it's grown now to about, you know, 10, 12 pages. Um, and it's, it's a work in progress. But just to put it all down on paper, you know, what I believe, you know, how you assess players, um, you know, how the type of people that you want involved, uh, a lot of that stuff. That, that was really kind of good for me to just, I've got it all now. I've saved it. Um, and again, it's a work in progress. I actually added some stuff to it today. Um, so you learn, you keep adding. But it, it, to me, it's a great reference that, uh, you know, I always have. And, and uh, you know, I can always bring with me if, if there's other opportunities. Yeah, I, I think that's something that you're seeing some people start to explore now. Obviously, uh, Kyle Dubas and the whole rising and, and his philosophy on and working in the OHL and NHL, that's that's one that people have heard about. But 
um, others have mentioned that they've kind of started to write their ideas down and kind of almost create this this manual say or yeah. um, their thoughts through words so that um, if an opportunity comes it's there or you know if they're, they're they've kind of lost their way they can go back to reference so I think that's that's something that maybe uh, you know is obviously good for people like yourself who've been in the industry to write down what you've learned but maybe people yeah. who are kind of just getting into it uh, speaking about their ideas and and then being able to see where they're missing things or where they kind of need to adapt. Um, you know, a lot of the things that you kind of write down come from lessons and from people that you've interacted with and things you learned. Looking back at your career as a whole, I know you touched on a few of them, but what are some of the major lessons you've learned and who are some of the major uh, mentors or people that you've interacted with that maybe helped you be as successful as you were throughout, um, throughout your time in hockey? Well, I think one of the things that, that you know, I learned, uh, and it's, it's especially relevant if you're in a leadership position, but to never really get too high or too low. I mean, you know, the, the, the hockey business, if you're, once you're, you can ride the highs and lows, but I think the key is just to stay, you know, on an even keel, because if you don't, uh, if you want to get too high, it's going to humble you, <laughs> you know? And so I always learned to, to, you know, stay on an even keel. Um, I think it's, crucial that you care about people. I think that, you know, in hockey in general, now it's a business, people don't matter in a lot of cases, but I think in the good organizations, a successful one, ones, they do matter, <laughs> you know, people matter and, uh, you know, relationships matter. Um, how you conduct yourself matters. Um, you know, even, even your appearance. I mean, you know, I, I, I've learned over the years that, you know, image counts and you're representing your team, your city, um, things like that. And, and, and I also learned, you know, over the last few years, it's crucial to work with good people. You know, it, it's, it's crucial. Like you have to be around good people um, or you're tied in with the bad people, you know, like you're, you're kind of lumped into the same group. And, and I think too, the other thing, Ryan, that I think is crucial in this business, especially, and, and it's what separates the successful people is that the successful people do it for the right reasons. I mean, I'm sure you're aware there's a lot of people in the business. It's an ego. It can be a very ego centric business and, and uh, it's all about getting ahead and, and uh, you know, nothing else matters. But I, I think you got to do things for the right reasons. I mean, if they're going to scout, you got to be passionate about it. You got to love it. You can't, you can't be doing it just so you can wear the jacket, right? If you're going to be a general manager, you got to care. Like uh, if it's all about you just springboarding to the next level, um, it's probably not going to happen. And, and this is something that, you know, I've talked to Paul McFarlane about numerous times and, and it's just that it's day to day, like do the best you can every day. And, and I know Roger Nielsen, and I told Paul the same story, but Roger Nielsen was a true coach. He, he didn't care where he coached. He just loved to coach. And because he loved it and was passionate about it, he was good at it and because he was good at it. The next level found him, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't cutting into his coaching time worrying about where the next job's going to come. So, um, and it's funny, I, you know, I, I, my one daughter, um, I told her the same thing, like, don't worry, like you're, you're going to be, you're going to be successful because you're passionate about what you do. And if you're passionate, you'll be good, good at it. And if you're good at it, you're going to make money. <laughs> so that seems to me to be a pretty logical uh, progression. But again, people don't always want to respect the process. They want to jump over and, get there ahead of everybody else. But sometimes it's like a, it's like to put in perspective, Ryan, and I'm rambling a bit, but 
when Eric Stahl came to us, as I said, he was just a, he was a really good player, but he's just a you know, small young kid. And I remember telling him, said, Eric, you're going to be our fourth line center. And it's up to you to see how far up you can climb. But I said, I would much rather have you earn your way up than we give you too much and you fall back. And it's the same thing in this business. If you want everything too fast, you don't have the base under you of the decisions, the experience, you're going to fall back in most cases, you know, or if you're not doing it for the right reasons um, and you're not willing to spend the time to get that experience, chances are you're probably not going to be long-term or really good at what you do. So to be really good, you got to love it. You got to do it for the right reasons and you got to be passionate about it. So anyways, I didn't mean to go on a soapbox there, but it's just, it's, it's a core belief for me. And whenever I was looking for people to hire people, um, it was always like, does this person, is he doing it for the right reasons or does he just want a jacket? <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's the, that's, that's the, the challenge for sure. I think that's, uh, that's very key to remember. And, um, you know, you touched on Roger Nielsen and these people that have, have taught you these lessons and obviously even a, a peer-to-peer interaction with someone like, uh, like Paul McFarlane. Uh, it just goes to show that these lessons, uh, sometimes it just takes time and, and it's the things that you learn by trial and error. And obviously the way you handle players, like you said, with Eric Stahl, it was one of those things where originally you said, I'd rather you earn your spot and it worked out that way. And that's something that you could take then moving forward when, uh, you know, like a player like Shane Wright comes in or, or whoever it may be, you know, you can yeah. kind of work them through that system. Uh, one final piece of uh, final question, I should say that I asked everybody is, you know, looking back at yourself, maybe in your situation, it could be when you were kind of finishing playing and starting out with Aurora at that point, or maybe to someone who's just looking to enter into hockey operations after finishing playing or coming out of school. Uh, what is one piece of advice you would give them to uh, hopefully help them on their way to one day being a, an NHL scout or an OHL general manager? Well, I think the, the, the key is a couple of things. One, one being open-minded to, to, to learn and, you know, not coming in thinking you've got it all figured out because unless you spent time at it, you probably don't have it all figured out for one thing. Um, be prepared to put the work in. And the work is extremely valuable because, you know, that's how you make your contacts. You, you, you spend time, you're in buildings, you're, it's not, it's not easy. You're in cold rinks, you're driving in snowstorms, but that's how you build your base. That's how you get to know people. That's how you, you gain experience, which will, will help you down the road. And again, really self-reflect and ask yourself, why are you doing this? Like why? And if it's for the right reasons, then there's, there's so much you know, good can come out of this. If not, um, I don't like your chances. So, so you gotta be willing, as I said, just to summarize it, Ryan, is, and I always used, and, and it's funny because I always had a, a saying in my office in Oshawa, and it just said, respect the process. And uh, I've always believed that, and, and it's whether it's scouting, whether it's coaching, there's a process. And you can't respect the process when you're building a team. You, you can't, there's no shortcuts if you want to do it right. So again, long-winded answer, but if you're a young guy, get a girl, getting into it, whatever, take the time to learn. Get that base under you. Be Eric Stahl. Like, learn and grow. Don't start, expect to start at the top when you don't have the base under you because you're going to fall back. So, yeah. anyways, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's what the good ones do. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's willing to take the time to learn and make your mistakes at a level that aren't going to kill you when you're, you know, when you're older. You learn from them because you make those mistakes and you're in a position you're not ready for. You're probably going to get fired. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, just an, a number of great points you made there. And I'm sure we're going to see uh, some people in their notebooks, the first line in quotes, be like Eric Stahl. I think that's a, that's a great way to kind of pursue that and, and hopefully one day uh, be successful at the NHL level or whatever you're hoping to do. Jeff, I just want to thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast today and sharing your story. Um, there's a lot of great points, obviously, coming from the Peets and, and working your way to uh, scouting at the NHL level. Um, you've learned a lot along the way and had a number of interactions. So thank you again for sharing your story. And uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I know for sure that if you want an opportunity in hockey, it's, it's right around the corner. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time that me and you will have a conversation about hockey. Well, I, I hope not, Ryan. I hope there's opportunities out there. I'm a hockey guy, and that's, that's you know, obviously you can tell I'm long-winded when I get talking about hockey. I'm passionate. But, uh, no, th thank you for having me on. And congratulations. What you're doing with this podcast, obviously I've listened to a few of them, and, and I think it's really good. I think you've got people sharing their stories, good people. So congratulations to you. on a, 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 I think your, your, your podcast separates itself a little bit from a lot that are out there. So well done, and uh, I just really appreciate you having me on and uh, taking the time to tell my story despite me being long-winded. So, so thank you. I, I really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. I'd like to thank Jeff for taking some time out of his schedule to join me on the podcast. As I mentioned before, he is one of those tenured OHL executives who I had not had the pleasure of meeting beforehand. So once again, I'd like to thank him for being so open and candid from the first moment he started talking. If you would like to get in touch with Jeff to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make that connection for you. On the next episode, I'll be joined by Jim Midgley, assistant coach with the East Island Roosters. In addition to his European experience, Jim spent time coaching with the Halifax Mooseheads, presenting an interesting resume stockpiled with coaching elite talent, which furthers his thinking and brings us an even better interview. So be sure to check out that episode once it's released. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for the continued interaction and the continued support with each and every episode. As always, stay safe and all the best.